the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. Um, I would say that today's uh, Matthew 23 is where Jesus has what I would call a Vesuvius moment. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about what a Vesuvius moment is, but a Vesuvius moment is one in which uh, you get so enraged and so angry, you erupt like Mount Vesuvius. Now, we've already seen this before when Jesus was in the temple. He came into the temple. He saw all the money changers uh, trying to, you know, these people who were selling animals for sacrifice, which is natural. People make treks to Jerusalem, go to the temple because they want to make a sacrifice. They're not going to bring the animals with them. And so they would have animals available for sale and, you know, it became kind of like a marketplace. And Jesus uh, came into the temple grounds and saw all this. And for whatever reason, um, because I'm sure he'd seen it before as a kid, but he, uh, he was very, very angry and had what I would call a Vesuvius moment. Well, that was a physical Vesuvius moment. Today is more like the Vesuvius moments I have. <laughs> when I've had Vesuvius moments and get very, very angry, I just lash out. Uh, and I lash out uh, in horrible ways that I'm very ashamed of. But um, that's what Jesus, Jesus is basically having a Vesuvius moment with the Pharisees. For whatever reason, I don't, uh, it could be that they killed John the Baptist. Uh, it could be that he's just sick and tired of it. It could be that he's trying to provoke them. Uh, it could be a lesson. And it may be, you know, when you want to teach somebody a lesson, sometimes you have to elevate your voice and elevate your intensity to teach a lesson. And perhaps that's what Jesus is doing. He's elevating his voice and his intensity to get through to the Pharisees. Now, do they get through? Uh, maybe not. Uh, most likely not. Maybe some do. Uh, but this is, this is what I would call a tongue lashing. And it's a pretty severe one. And, um, and so today is, today is Jesus. Jesus has his angry face on today, folks. <laughs> he is not happy with them. Uh, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And let me just say that because as we get into it, you'll see that he's really, really not happy. So we are in Matthew 23 and uh, we will start at Matthew 23 and we will start at verse one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus is talking to the crowds and his disciples, 
And uh, basically, he is just laying out that the Pharisees are basically hypocrites. And he calls out why they're hypocrites. Basically, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they lord it over other people. They talk about what the law is and how other people should be following the law. But the Pharisees themselves don't necessarily follow the law. They don't follow the letter of the law. They put the burden of the law on all the other people, but they themselves don't necessarily follow the law. And we certainly know that in their heart, they don't follow the law. They might give the appearance of doing all the things. You know, when they're in public, they're going to certainly show the appearance of giving, uh, of following the law. But in their private, in their heart, or the way they practice, the way that they uh, treat other people, the way that they put the burden of law on other people, uh, the, the, the grace of God and the heart of God is very far from them. Uh, the law is put into place to help us to grow as, uh, as members of the kingdom. And at this time, uh, Jesus uh, is expanding and, and explaining what the kingdom is. The kingdom has always been with us, but now Jesus is explaining it. And if you want to be someone who follows God's law and lives in the kingdom, uh, those two things go in hand in hand. If you, if you train up a child to follow the law, at some point, their heart will be changed and they'll follow the law. That's true. But what happens in many times is that the heart isn't changed and they follow the law without the heart being changed. And then they become cold and heartless and cruel. And that's where the Pharisees are. They preach a good game, right? Uh, they talk about God's law and they, they might even feel that they are in God's good graces because they're following God's law. They might even believe that they love God, that they're following the commandment to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. But where the Pharisees are falling short is they're not following the second part of that law, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. God put the Pharisees and the Jewish people on this earth to love the earth around them, to use the law to help people grow in their faith, to understand how God's created them and to put that protection around them, but to also understand that God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy. No one can perfectly follow the law, uh, and yet they put the burden of the law tighter and tighter and tighter as a noose around their neck until they suffocate and kill. Um, the Pharisees are, they're also um, failing in another way. And the other way that they're failing is that they love the power and the influence and the respect that they have. Jesus even says, everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries, right? These are the, the, the things that they would wear and they would have the tassels on their garments. Uh, they, they would wear these things to show how much they're following God. Um, so they would love God, but they don't necessarily love the people around them. It's all for show. It's all for show. And Jesus sees right through it, and he's very angry at them. Because the other thing that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did is they got into bed uh, with Rome. They got into bed with King Herod. Um, in previous times, when they've had kings, they would have prophets, and they would come to the king, and they would say, King, oh great king, Here's things that you're not doing. And, many, and sometimes the kings would listen to these prophets. Sometimes the kings would not listen to the prophets. But a lot of the Old Testament prophets would prophesy about the fact that kings 
and the people with wealth and influence would use their wealth and their influence and their power to suffocate the middle class and the poor. A perfect example of this is in the book of Amos where, where the prophet Amos came to the king uh, or to the leadership and said, um, you're using your power and your influence to get more power and influence. You're, you're lying in court. People would come into the court system. Let's say that, uh, that somebody owes somebody money. So they go into the court system in a fair court system. You would hear the evidence. And here in the United States, we want to say that justice is blind, right? You hear the evidence and you make a determination based upon the facts as best as you can. But in the Old Testament prophet Amos, they would go into the court system and basically whoever had the power and had the wealth and had the influence would win the court case. Uh, they would even uh, you know, drum up witnesses and drum up expert witnesses and drum up people to support their case. And justice wasn't blind at all in the Old Testament. And what happens when justice isn't blind is that the wealth continues to start moving up to the powerful. And you end up with the very few at the top that have a lot of money and you have a lot of people everywhere else that have no money, no power, no influence. And this is what happens when religion cozies up to the rulers, right? And so here we have in Jerusalem, religion cozying up to Rome, cozying up to Herod. And what happens when this happens? What happens when religion and power are all coalesced into one powerful elite at the top is that they lord it over everybody else. And then you have a prophet coming along, maybe a prophet like John the Baptist who speaks out against Herod and the sins that he's doing. And it wasn't just that he'd married his, um, his brother's wife. I mean, that was certainly something that was very visible that John the Baptist could preach against. It was the fact that the whole Herodian dynasty was corrupt. The power that they had was a corruptible power. They used that power to, to go and get more wealth from the poor and to increase their power. And they were using the Pharisees and the Sadducees to keep the poor in line because there's no greater way to keep people in line than to tell them that God is not happy with them unless they follow God's law. And oh, by the way, the things that Herod says or the things that Rome says, these are the things that you should be doing. Um, we've seen this time and time and time again throughout history. When I was in high school, um, one of the books I read was called Atlas Shrugged. And it's a book by an author named Ayn Rand. Now, I'm not saying anything about... <laughs> about the, the quality of the book or the writing. It's a hard book to get through because all throughout this book, um, the major character has these soliloquies about how wealth and power are distributed and how wealth and power are used. And I found out later that uh, Ayn Rand, was, that grew, she grew up in uh, communist Russia. And because of that, she had some very, very, very strong feelings about socialism, uh, and communism and, and uh, that whole system of government that, uh, you know, that was over, they overthrew the czar, right? And then they had communism, they had Lenin and communism, socialism. And, uh, but one of the things that is interesting about Russia is that there's a state church in Russia. It's the, called the Eastern Orthodox Church. 
And Ayn Rand would preach how horrible the church was. And I remember younger thinking, why does Ayn Rand hate Christianity so much? Uh, and the things she was preaching about, I just didn't understand. But as I did more research into Ayn Rand, I found out that the reason Ayn Rand did not like the Russian Orthodox Church is because communism and the czar and socialism, they all used the church as a way to have power and influence over the people so that the people at the top could continue to have their power and influence. Uh, and if you understand that, you understand why Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand was so angry with the Eastern Orthodox Church. It's because the Eastern Orthodox Church was in the pocket of socialism and communism. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church was in the pocket of the Russian oligarchy. Uh, in Germany, at the time of Hitler, he tried to use the Christian church at that point to get all the followers following him. This has happened over and over and over again throughout history. It's actually what sparked the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. It's because the, the, the church had gotten so far in bed with the political powers that they'd lost sight of what the church was all about because it's not all about political power. It's not all about wealth. It's not all about uh, greed. It's not all about uh, the things that we would think it's about. The church at its fundamental root is about loving God and loving your neighbor, spreading that news, and, and letting people know that, it's, that, that everybody that comes into the kingdom is on an equal footing with everybody else. Now, this is different than the way we run the earth, right? We all want to have power and influence. We want to always look at our neighbor and say, yeah, I'm better than my neighbor, right? Um, but what Jesus says is that the kingdom is such that the king is so powerful, the king provides you with so much wealth, so much love, uh, so much grace in your love, in your life, that you cannot help but love your neighbor and treat your neighbor as an equal. Treat your neighbor better than you would treat yourself. Treat your neighbor with kindness and respect and love. And you can do that because when you're in the kingdom, you have all rights and privileges of the kingdom. Now, this is something that mankind has fought throughout the history of mankind. Uh, and so when Jesus comes on the scene, you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've cozied up to Rome and they've cozied up to Herod and they put the burden of law on the people. They don't follow the law themselves. It's all about them. It's about their appearance. That has nothing to do with their heart. And for whatever reason on this day, Jesus just goes ballistic over the Pharisees and he starts teaching about them. He's saying, do not, do not uh, call them rabbi. Or, uh, you know, they love to be respected in the market. They love to be called rabbi. And then Jesus says, but you're not to be called rabbi. You're not to be called teacher. You're not to be lording yourself over everybody else. If you want to be someone in the kingdom, in my kingdom, you need to take the position that I took, which is basically to be a humble servant. Um, you know, this is for a pastor. These words ring very deep and they cut very deep. Um, there are a lot of people that go into the pastoral ministry because they want to lord it over other people. 
They want to have that power and they want to have the influence. One of the things that I've um, struggled against is I, I, um, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want to be one who's humble. I want to be one that doesn't put the burden of the law on other people that I haven't put upon myself. I don't want to rise up above everybody else. And yet, uh, when you're called to be a pastor of a congregation, there's a somewhat of an expectation that there are some moments where you get the, the high seat of um, respect. There are times when there is a dinner and they expect uh, the pastor to come into the high position and to, to act like you know, the, the person in charge of a group of people. And, and on the left-hand kingdom, as a called servant to the church that I serve, I'm in that position. So on that, in, in that respect, I am supposed to kind of take a leadership role and, and lead in those ways. And leadership does command respect. Um, so, so it's a hard thing to command the respect, to lead, to, to allow people to give you that respect, but on the other side, to be humble and uh, to lead with grace and humility and love. Um, that, puts a, that puts any person, not just a pastor, but any person who's a leadership position in the church in a very interesting situation because you always have to balance these two sides to the story. Um, so the Pharisees obviously had not learned how to balance this. They were lording it over other people and they were choking other people to death and Jesus goes ballistic. He says in verse 12, for those who will exalt themselves will be humbled. So if that's the way you want to live your life, you want to live your life exalted, when it comes to the end of the age, you will be humbled. But those who humble themselves live in the kingdom as just humble followers of Jesus Christ. In the last day, you'll be exalted. Some good news from Jesus, that's for sure. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to go. So now Jesus is, um, now Jesus gives a tongue lashing, basically. <laughs> uh, he does these things called the woes. It's the seven woes. And he basically directs these to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the Sadducees. Um, and he just lets, for whatever reason, he just lets them, he just unloads on them, all right? So these are called the seven woes, and it's basically picking up on the same thing, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are basically hypocrites, and then he just lets them have it. So let's, let's look and see how Jesus lets them have it, okay? Verse 13, woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Oh my goodness. So Jesus says, woe to you, hypocrites, teachers of the law. You shut the door of the kingdom. Now what's interesting then is that the, that the, the, the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, they had access to the kingdom. The kingdom came to the Jewish people when God called them through Abraham to be that he blessed Abraham so that they could be a blessing to the world around them. They were called out. They were God's special people. They were the church. They were the kingdom. So the Pharisees and Sadducees had access to that kingdom. Um, but they were not acting like people in the kingdom. They had God's law down, all right? That they had down. And they spent a lot of time making sure they followed God's law. Where they lacked was that they shut the door of God's grace to other people. They shut that aspect of the kingdom off 
to other people who are following, basically. Uh, they, were, they were using the law to choke the people and not show love. That's basically what they were doing, right? Woe to you. You are hypocrites. You're shutting the kingdom out to, to other people. Um, so that was the first, that's the first, uh, the first woe. And then we're going to go look at the second woe, which starts in verse 15. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much of a child of hell as you are. So if you are a Pharisee and a Sadducee and you want people, right, that you can lord over, uh, you want good people, right? You want people because people, if you're a Pharisee and a Sadducee, right, the people that you are in control of, uh, the more they follow the rules and the law, the more they, um, they do what you tell them to do, right? Uh, then the better you look. And so you'll search far and wide to find the right people to come into your, uh, you know, your, your community so that you can teach them. So you'll have good people. In your You're always looking for the best of the best. So you'll go you know, far and wide to find the best of the best. Um, and you might ignore people who are in your community that need God's grace and his love and his kingdom uh, very, very much. And you ignore them because they have no power. They have no influence. They're, they're dogs to you, right? Um, you use people as political fodder so that you can look better. Now, this is an indictment also to us here, even in the United States, where we have leaders, even in the Christian church, who will tell their Christian church how to vote. Uh, they'll tell their Christian church how to act, how to do things on certain issues. Now, in some areas, this is very, very much in line with what a pastor or a leader is supposed to do. We're supposed to take God's word. We're supposed to preach God's word. We're supposed to encourage. Uh, we're supposed to exhort with God's word. But sometimes there is a switch that is flipped where if you are a Christian leader, you will then use all the people that follow you for power and influence to make you look better. And that is wrong. If you're doing, if you're, if you're telling people how, you know, how they should look at a certain issue because it comes out of scripture and you want them to grow in their faith, you want them to grow uh, in relationship with other people, that's one thing. But when you use people that follow you so that you can look better, so that you can have more power, you can have more influence in the world, that is wrong. And Jesus speaks against it in the second woe. Uh, you know, they travel land and sea to find a single person, right? Why would you travel over land and sea? Because you want somebody the best of the best, right? You want, you want the best of the best to convert into your tribe. Um, and Jesus gives you a terrible woe. You basically, what you're doing is you're, you're bringing them into a dead religion. You're bringing them into this form of religion, which is all about following laws and rules, and it has nothing to do with the heart. And when that happens, uh, they're, they're going to be twice as much a child of hell. Oh my goodness, Jesus is <laughs> he's on fire here. Twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus goes to the third woe. Verse 16, woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? 
You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So back uh, in Jesus' day, they would, you know, they'd swear by the gold or they'd swear by the altar. You know, they would use all these different ways to say, you know, I'm telling the truth. I'm swearing. This is, this is the way it is. And they would look at all these minuscule things, uh, but, but they would never look at the, at the thing that makes the gold holy or the altar holy. I mean, what gives the power to all this? It's the power of God, right? God is the ultimate source of power. If you're going to swear, uh, if you're going to look for the source of power to show that you are you know, swearing by a higher authority, don't use these little things. Use the big thing. Use God. God is the ultimate thing in charge of everything. He makes everything holy. He makes the gold holy. He makes the altar holy. And, uh, and so you shouldn't swear by these little things. Swear by God. Um, you hypocrite. You're, you're, you're not seeing where the power comes from. The power of living doesn't come from the gold and the altar. The power of living comes from the source of all that, which is God. Uh, and you've forgotten that. You, 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 you look at power and wealth as the source of your power and authority, and it's not. Your power and authority comes from God. It's from a higher power. Um, so he, he teaches them. One more woe, verse 23. Well, several more, but verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Without neglecting the former, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel, a camel. So Jesus is basically saying, you're putting the burden of the law. And Jesus does say, you should not neglect the burden of the law. You should have people follow. You should teach the law. But don't forget justice. Don't forget mercy. Don't forget faithfulness. You know, you think you're following the law. This is in every Old Testament prophet. All, all these people said, you think you're following the law, king. You're not. You're missing this portion over here. Nathan came to David and said, you think you're doing all the right things, Nathan. Well, you just killed Uriah the Hittite uh, because you wanted to have relations with his wife, right? Um, people are blind to the things that they don't see. Uh, and it's just, a, it's human nature. We're blind to it. It takes a prophet to come up to us and show us our weakness, to show us outside of the things that we see around us I mean, that's the beauty of marriage, right? Because your wife or your husband will show you uh, where you're lacking and where you're failing, right? It helps you see beyond the things you see because we're so laser focused on the things we're doing. And the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were laser focused on, um, on keeping the law and they were not keeping justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They, were, they believed they loved God with all their heart. But the fact is they didn't love their neighbor. They didn't love their neighbor as themselves. Jesus goes on. Verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean inside the cup and the dish, and then outside you will be clean. 
Again, Jesus is saying, these Pharisees, they think they're doing all the right thing. The outside of the cup is clean, but inside their heart is not clean. They're being Pharisees. They're not really following God as God wants to be followed. They go on to verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people to be righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Um, same thing, right? Just on the inside, you're, you're filthy dirty. On the outside, you look great, but on the inside, you're filthy dirty. Then verse 29. Verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the day of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. This, this is why I think he's really upset about John the Baptist, right? Because they killed the prophet. The prophet came to teach the truth. And instead of the Pharisees stopping and having self-reflection and saying, all right, what have we become? How have we gotten so far from God? Uh, how have our hearts become so unclean and our, and our actions, they might, why they look clean on the outside, and our actions internally are horrible. But they didn't do that. They cozied up to power. Uh, they cozied up to respect in the community too much to even see uh, what the prophet was telling them. So they killed the prophet. And Jesus was not happy that they killed the prophet. One last part here. You snakes... This is verse 33. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, who, who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her check, chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me until, again, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So basically says, you know, Jesus weeps over this because it wasn't meant to be that way. The, the, the kingdom of Israel was blessed to be a blessing. They were never supposed to use the law to hoard it over the people. They're never supposed to get, you know, cozy up to power, um, and especially power that wasn't uh, in line with God's will. Uh, and yet they did it. And uh, this happens over and over and over again in history um, until more prophets come along, you know, until God leads more people into his church at certain points in time to lead the church in a, in a cleansing, if you will. Because this was a cleansing. Jesus came and uh, cleansed Israel. Uh, and he started a new kingdom. And he started over again to saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. Can you see? Look at me and you've seen the Father. Look at me and you'll see how you're supposed to love your neighbor. Look at me and how you're supposed to live your life. Have justice, have humility, have grace. Um, 
And so we as followers of Jesus, that's what he's called us to do. But there are times in the history of the Christian church when it's become all about power and wealth and influence and using the burden of the law as a noose around the people of God. But the great, great grace that Jesus gave us is that we're all in the kingdom. It has nothing to do with how much power we have. It's nothing to do with where we came from. It's nothing to do with how much education we have or what car we drive or what neighbor we live in or how good we even live our life. We're in the kingdom because God has brought us into the kingdom through the power of his baptism. We live in the kingdom with his power and his grace and all rights and privileges thereof. And we grow and we live and we love because he's called us to be in the kingdom that way. And I'm so grateful that God's word still exists so that we can see the truth of his word and what the truth of the kingdom is. Jesus is not happy with the Pharisees and Sadducees, but he brought a new kingdom and we are part of that kingdom. And uh, by God's grace, let us not live as Pharisees and Sadducees, but as humble servants of the king. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this teaching today. It is, it is a hard teaching. Help us to not be Pharisees. Help us to show your love and your grace. Um, Lord, when people put the burden of law on us, help us to cling to the fact that you love us and you redeem us. This we pray through your son, Jesus, who gives us the power to pray and the power to be in your kingdom. In his name.